For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Game Day on Rocket Top Podcast. Will Shelton, Brad Shepard, Joel Hollingsworth. It is 322 on Sunday, November 12th. Butch Jones was let go this morning. Uh, there's plenty of good stuff on, on our side, and, uh, and uh, obviously there is some conversation about Tennessee's got two games left to play here. Uh, Brady Hoke will coach him against LSU and against Vanderbilt. Still could get uh, bowl eligible. Uh, those are all good conversations for uh, our site the rest of this week and other places, but today... Uh, we just want to talk about what's next for Tennessee. There'll be plenty of conversation, has been plenty of conversation already about what went wrong for Butch Jones and all that. Again, uh, other places on our site will do that. But uh, I, my sense uh, is that everybody's been ready to look forward here for quite a while. And today we actually officially get to do that. So uh, we're going to jump right in here to where we think Tennessee will look, how we think some of these guys might fit, those kinds of things. I, I, I'll start by saying I think Getting a good fit is always the number one thing uh, to me. I think we, we learned a little bit when Lane Kiffin was here that it's, it's not just about being a good football coach. You need someone who is a good fit with Tennessee, with the, with the culture, the program, all that stuff. So uh, I think a lot of the guys we will talk about today uh, will fit that mold in terms of where Tennessee may look to go. Obviously, any conversation like this has to start with John Gruden, and so we will start there. It's interesting to think about this conversation compared to the one we had five years ago and, and trying to gauge Gruden's actual interest. My perspective is that there seems to be a little more smoke this time, not necessarily significantly more smoke than in 2012, and there wasn't any fire in 2012 as it turned out at the end anyway. So, Brad, I'm, I'm going to start with you. Before we you know get our, our hopes up uh, and, and all those things, how likely do you feel? How real are these conversations? What's what's your sense on this whole John Gruden with Tennessee conversation now in November 2017? Well, it's hard to believe that it's that it, there's actually any reality to it. We've all been talking about it for so long that you know. I mean, it's even when I mean, just like it's been reported in the past couple of weeks. I mean, it was such an issue when Tennessee actually hired Butch Jones that Dave Hart had to had to answer. John Gruden question at the press conference. So, you know, I still not just believe, but know that those, that those talks progressed considerably with Gruden the first time around. So, you know, I, I do think there's some legitimacy to it. Do I believe it's going to happen? I mean, I can't say that because I mean, I think that I've just wanted it for so long that I can't, I can't believe that, <laughs> that it could actually happen. But and, and I, I'm not even going to say that it's that it's likely that it's going to happen, but I do think that Tennessee, you know, has reached out, gauged interest. You know, is the is that feeling reciprocated? I'm I'm not sure, and I think that, you know, that that there has to be a lot of things in place. There has to be a lot of things that you're absolutely sure about. Not just, you know, do you you, you would have to make him one of the highest paid coaches in the country. Um, he hasn't coached in nearly a decade. He's never coached as a head coach in college football. And, 
all those things I think that you know we, we've all gotten so excited about the possibility of it that we kind of gloss over those facts so what what would have to happen if if he ultimately said yes you know he would have to in my opinion surround himself with some with some great recruiters number one um number two you know he he would have to surround himself with a a great compliance staff which i think tennessee has a good compliance staff already but he would need somebody that would you know kind of help coach him up on the rules tennessee obviously has the resources and the money to be able to do that so um you know i think that that those are two things that he has to do and i think that another thing that would be smart of him to do is to you know get a, a an offensive coordinator in there that he could kind of marry some of his elements to his offensive scheme to what's you know being successful in college right now which is the spread and and have those things work so i mean i think that if you hired him there's so much upside um you know as far as the coaches the coaches that would want to learn under him the the players that would want to play under him and just him walking into a living room would give Tennessee the the kind of star power that that, that Saban has at Alabama or that Harbaugh has um, at Michigan or that Urban Meyer has for Ohio State. I mean, it immediately makes you an instant name program again. So, you know, the, the number one rule of business is you have to spend money to make money. And I think that it would be a hire that Tennessee could make that could ultimately, you know, kind of galvanize the fan base again. And we've talked about it for so long and it's and it's something that's that like you said a fit is so important and and not to knock on butch or, or dooley or whatever but what you know those two exits of the past the two exits of the past two coaches actually the past three coaches considering lane left like a thief in the night but the last two coaches were so messy the divorces that you know the and the things that came out kind of after the fact it shows you just how miserably Tennessee missed on getting that fit the last two times. So to have a guy that loves Tennessee, to surround himself with some coaches maybe who've coached at Tennessee or played at Tennessee, uh, you know, I think that, that it has a whole lot of upside. Do I think it's realistic? I, I can't get myself to say yes, but, you know, I do think that it, that there's a situation there where Tennessee's administrators and boosters or whomever would have to have – would have to reach out to Gruden and have him tell you no 10 times before you move on to option two. And, and, you know, obviously if you're listening to this podcast, if you're a Tennessee fan, there are a million reasons to think John Gruden will do a great job at Tennessee. Uh, and, and you don't need me to, or any of us to, to spell all of those out for you. If there is a concern other than hasn't been in coaching for X number of years, I do wonder just some about the human nature element as, as Brad, you were saying about having to make them, uh, having to make Tennessee tell, make him say no so many times that if, if, if it comes around to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Okay. I'll do it for $10 million or whatever. And, and that's, I think Gruden's got plenty of money. He's, he's had a very high paying job for a very long time, but I, I would have a concern of, does he say yes to this uh, after saying no so many times and then six months on the job thinks, ah, oh, this is not, I'm, I'm not a good fit in, in college, Tennessee or, or anywhere. Um, that, that would be one concern. I, I'm not saying that would concern would keep me from wanting to have him as the coach, but I do think that is, that to me is the lead concern about Gruden is just the fit in the college game from a, an enjoyment standpoint, just a personal enjoyment standpoint, a college coach has got to work a lot harder than an NFL head coach. 
Um, and, and he was kind of, he would be doing that kind of career progression backward almost to be working harder in his mid fifties than he was, uh, when he was winning the Super Bowl there, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Um, Joel, you have a thought on that or, or, or a take kind of on both sides of this Gruden conversation? Yeah, I, I understand the concern and I think there's some good stuff there, but, um, I'm not really worried about, um, talking the guy into it so that he's, uh, you know, disappointed when he gets here or has, you know, remorse or whatever. Um, I think it's just a sort of human nature to need to be talked into big decisions, you know, and, you know, I don't have any inside information or anything, but, uh, I get the general impression that one of the things that drives Gruden is, is, you know, he, he wants to be, uh, needed, you know? And so I think, uh, I think, I, I want to go back and I have a post uh, idea in the queue that I haven't actually even researched yet, but I want to say that when Alabama went and got Nick Saban, that they, I mean, he said no, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably multiple times. Um, so that's just part of the sales process, part of the recruiting process. You know, I think you sh- basically should generally expect people to say no the first time. Um, and then you just, you keep talking, you keep after it. That's how you prove to them how much you want them and how important they are. And I think once they get there and get to work, then it's other things that drive them and drive their happiness. So, uh, that's what I think on that. One, one other thing about what, uh, Brad said about recruiting. I think that when you get a guy like Rudin, um, recruiting as much as it can sort of happens for itself. You know, I mean, you get you get the king come come to your living room. That's really all he has to do is show up. You know, he can have a staff that just go out and and send the texts and keep all the keep all the leads warm. You know, until they actually commit and all that uh, and sign their letters. But uh, I think it's actually easier for a guy like Gruden to uh, to actually recruit. I, he's going to need a compliance staff. That, that's my biggest thing is that he doesn't know the rules. And you know what? The rules are complicated. So, you know, he's going to need some help on that. And then one other thing. Brad said you got to spend money to make money. That is true. Uh, but I can also tell you just from experience that sometimes when you spend money, you don't always make it back either. I've tried to sell Vol stuff uh, for the past six years. So sometimes you buy that inventory and, uh, you know, it just sits there. Yeah, so sometimes you buy the inventory and the team instead of making it to the Sugar Bowl ends up uh, in the Music City Bowl. So. Yes, or or yes. you know talking about firing Bowl. their coach for a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, John Gruden would be good for everyone's business. I, I think we can all we can all uh, as that's, people that run a blog, running a store, John Gruden's good for business. That's the other thing I wanted to mention too is, um, I think you know they need to make sure they get this right. They need to make sure they get a winner, somebody who can get Tennessee back in the national conversation. That's important, but almost as important is getting somebody that the fans believe right now can do that because the apathy in the fan base is, is beyond measure, uh, and they yep. need somebody to, to stoke that fire and get it rolling again as soon as possible. I will say to Brad's point about um, Dave Hart being asked about John Gruden at Butch Jones' press conference – do you, Brad, do you think that would have happened if we were introducing Charlie Strong on that day? You know, I, I, I don't. And, and that's the, and that's, that's exactly, that's a great follow-up question and a point that I was really 
itching to make when Joel was talking about that is it's it is it's vital that that you get a guy that's not going to live in in Gruden's shadow. I mean, because you know if if you if you, he's cast such a huge shadow on this program just by his name being mentioned, it's it's kind of like the it's kind of like the the shadow that Peyton cast um, as far as being a a great quarterback and and you know and and it's very easy to sit there and say somebody is going to be the next but you know it's it, from a player standpoint it's there it's not fair from a coach's standpoint it's not fair so you know Tennessee just you can't go out and afford to hire somebody that that Curry is going to have to sell us on at the beginning and who the coach is going to have to to win or recruit his way into our hearts because that kind of happened with Butch. You know, we, nobody thought that was a great hire when it happened and we were all just kind of talking ourselves into it. And then he goes out and signs, you know, a great in-state recruit field class that first, the, his first full class. And, you know, it, he, he kind of earned himself some goodwill, but the guy never really, could coach i mean so it was just kind of delaying the inevitable a little bit and you know and and, and once things started kind of coming out and, and and you know he started opening his mouth and you know when we kind of would you know say he would say say some things that were a little bit cringeworthy and you know then and, and i remember i remember like it was yesterday and and i've told him several times that i think that he's you know that was the most prophetic thing i believe anybody's ever told me wes rucker told me in a phone conversation, like seriously, maybe four or five months after Butch was hired that he had spoken with a lot of people and that he had spoken with Butch on several different occasions. And he said, I'm telling you right now, he said, fans are going to love all of this. Fans are going to eat up all of this talk and all of his, you know, cliches and comments and slogans and everything. And all that's going to be fine and good as long as he's winning. But when he starts losing, it is going to get tiresome very quickly and people will turn on him because he's, he's got some flaws. He needs to grow and learn. And if he, if he's, if he's too stubborn to grow and learn, then this is going to wear thin. And that's exactly what happened. And, and, and I think it was, and I'm telling you, it was very, very soon after he was hired that we had that conversation. So, you know, I think that, that there needs to be a coach that, that we like instantly. And, and, you know, there aren't a whole lot of guys out there that can galvanize the fan base, but there are a whole lot of good names out there that can be hired. And, and as long as we make a hire that we can get behind and have some reasons why we can get behind it, then whether it's Gruden or whether it's somebody else that's still a good coach, I think that, that you know, this fan base is starving for somebody that we can be united behind. And it's not something that we need to, sit there and say, well, this guy's good, but, you know, or I, I think he, I think he's got a good upside, but, you know, he's got to do this, this, and this, or, I'm, you know, we can't afford to do that now. It, it, there, it's, we're too far down that rabbit hole. We're too, we're too long in the wilderness. We had a couple of, we had a taste of a couple of nine win seasons that were good. And Hey, I thank Butch for that, but you know, we're back to where we were and, and we just need something to keep us going because you know they're they're about to make 340 million dollars worth of upgrades to Neyland Stadium, and they can't put a Pinto engine in a brand new F-150. They can't keep doing it. If if they keep doing it, then we're going to be, you know, we're going to 
be obsolete and remain there. And, and so Tennessee, surely the powers that be understand that. It's interesting to me, I think, when we get in these searches, th this has been especially true in basketball, where you tend to hire a guy who is the opposite of the other guy. It's it, the guy you just fired. Um, it, it's not necessarily that they do that on purpose. It's that the person who left, their weaknesses are most apparent to us, and so it feels like we got to get a guy that doesn't do that, uh, that, that comes right off the cuff. I, I remember, I, I think it was Wes Rucker that tweeted before Tennessee hired Butch that Tennessee needed to get a, a coach who was relentlessly optimistic. And because Derek Dooley, you got to be who you are. Derek Dooley uh, was not relentlessly optimistic. Uh, it w was pessimistic at the beginning of his tenure, not, not just at the end. And they get Butch, who was relentlessly optimistic until, as Brad was saying, your optimism has to be grounded in realism um, for it to be believed. And I think that was a, a line that got crossed. And so now for Tennessee, if you're looking to hire someone else, it, it's not uh, – you're not going to lean towards we got to get a great recruiter because Butch did a really good job uh, at, at that. But I think there will be an emphasis, if we tend to do the same pendulum swing, there will be an emphasis on um, X's and O's, an emphasis on um, player development. Um, and, mm -hmm. and you know, it would be interesting to see when whenever John Curry is standing up at a different press conference besides the one today where he's announcing the firing. When he's standing up there with someone next to him to announce a hiring, I think that'll be an interesting game to play to see what kind of comparison is there. Um, if if it's not going to be John Gruden that's standing next to him. So we got Gruden at the top. And I'll say one, one last thing on Gruden. If it's not going to be Gruden, I think Gruden, if he loves Tennessee, he needs to do Tennessee a favor and get himself out of this uh, as, as quickly as possible. Uh, because one thing that keeps the specter of John Gruden out there and around while Tennessee's trying to get folks excited about other people one thing that keeps that alive is John Gruden. He, yeah. he likes being wanted. We all like being wanted. I get that. Um, but if if he, again, because of that unique relationship with Tennessee, if he wants to do something good with Tennessee and his answer is a firm no, he needs to make that clear. Um, I, and I'll be interested to see if he, uh, if he does that. Um, from Gruden, there is a list of guys that it's the sort of you got to call these guys list. This is Jimbo Fisher. And, uh, you know, Gary Patterson would, would be on that list. Uh, we were talking before we went on the air that he, he floated Tennessee's name uh, out there in terms of the 2008 coaching search that he was involved in when Tennessee hired Lane Kiffin earlier this week. I'm still not sure. I don't, I don't get the sense that Gary Patterson is anywhere remotely close to the next most likely possibility, anything like that. But if you're going to pay, hypothetically, if you're going to pay Gruden $8, 10000000 million a year, is there you know, someone on that other list that you would pay six to eight million dollars a year that, that might listen? I'm not sure about any of that, and that doesn't seem to be dominating the conversation among people that are that are smarter than me, at least. So, if we're talking about from Gruden, where does it go in terms of most likely possibility? Let's talk about a couple of guys that are there. I'm going to start with Dan Mullen, um, I, not necessarily because I'm convinced that he's the most likely non-Gruden possibility. But I think Mullen is someone that does check a lot of these boxes and uh, is someone that, when we talk about fit, uh, I think Dan Mullen is someone that would be a good cultural fit at Tennessee. Uh, if he doesn't end up at Florida, and, and I don't, I'm not seeing any, any necessarily strong smoke coming out of Gainesville that he's going to go there, I would enjoy having a, a guy who has a bit of a chip on his shoulder about Florida being the coach at Tennessee. That's a good thing for Tennessee because we, we can relate to that. We can understand that. 
Um, I, I tweeted this last night before the game. Mullen's been at Mississippi State nine years. That sounds impossible, but it's true. He's been at Mississippi State for nine years. So if you're making a judgment on Dan Mullen based on the fact that he lost to South Alabama last year or that he almost beat Alabama last night, either way, there's plenty on that resume. You, you don't have to make a decision on Dan Mullen based on what you've seen in the last year or, or anything like that. Um, but I do think what he's done there uh, at Starkville has been remarkable. Obviously got him to number one in 2014. He was doing so with with talent that, you know, is is lower than other people, almost everyone else in that division. So my sense is that Dan Mullen would be a good fit here. He's also impossibly only 45 years old. That is nuts to me. Um, I, I think Mullen, more than some of these other guys, could be seen as a longer-term kind of hire if he could be convinced to come. Some of the questions you're going to get into with Dan Mullen are, what are you going to pay him, and, and how high up the ladder are you willing to put him to come and be Tennessee's coach? And so I'll just throw it open. Joel, I'll start with you, and then Brad will go to you. Give me your thoughts on Dan Mullen potentially as Tennessee's next coach. I like Mullen. Um, you know, he's he's done some great things, but it's kind of been like – under the radar a little bit just maybe that's because it's mississippi state you know and who pays attention mississippi state right but um with dak prescott and uh the guy that they got now whose name is escaping me um nick fitzgerald nick fitzgerald, fitzgerald um the, you know those guys are rolling and and he's he's been doing it well he he gives us the things that we uh are kind of hungry for right now uh, which is offense, although we've only been hungry for it for a year. Um, but we're like starving, okay, because it's, it's yeah, it's been terrible. So um, he, he, he checks that off. Um, I think he's probably a good fit. He knows the SEC. Um, the one concern I have is I'd have to go back and look at his record to see, and maybe you know this because you've looked at him closer, Will, but um, you know, is, is he sort of stuck at um, nine and three? You know, he hasn't. If if I remember right, has he won uh, the SEC West since he's been there? No, no. Okay, he came. He came in second the year they were number one. They were undefeated, and they lost to Alabama, same as everyone else does. Um, otherwise, um, he has not. In the SEC West, his best finish, they were they were second in that year, 2014. Otherwise, his best finish is fourth, which he's done a couple of times. Um, Going to have a chance to be, um, I guess, third this year um, if they if they beat Ole Miss. Um, so, okay. yes, he, is not, he has not been able to get to uh, Atlanta. He hasn't yeah. beaten Alabama. Right. So th that's the thing, you know. Um, we can blame that on Nick Saban, and it makes – sense but we are impatient probably you know understandably so um and so when that when that patience wears off um there aren't any excuses so uh he's still gonna have to play alabama every year over here and you know that that's a that's a real problem um so i'm, I'm a little worried about his ceiling i know that the argument is that Tennessee has uh, more uh, to offer, that he'll have more resources at his disposal, and then the logical conclusion must be that he'll be able to do more with more. Um, but I don't know, you know. Um, still, 
when you look at all the lists of candidates, he's still right there at the top. I just still have a few concerns. Brad, give me your thoughts on Dan Mullen. I think, I mean, I think he would be a great hire. I think he would be somebody that Tennessee, you know, I don't want to say that, that he's a floor hire because I don't think that's the case. I just don't think that Tennessee's floor should be any lower than him because I think that he would, I think that you could go get him and I think he would come. And, you know, I, and as Joel, as you alluded to there in your last segment of your, of your answer, I mean, I don't, I don't blame his lack of winning the SEC West on Saban as much as I do on Starkville. I mean, I, I do think that there is a, a resource gap there. I think that, you know, if, if he came to Tennessee, he would be showered with everything that he needs to win. And I think that he, you know, has that he would, that he would win and win in a big way. I think that his recruiting, you know, that he would here, here are some things. I mean, obviously I don't, I think it's obvious how well he's done from a player development standpoint, from especially a quarterback development standpoint, when you've got guys like, you know, Tim Tebow and, and, um, you know, Chris Leak and, and then Dak Prescott and Nick Fitzgerald on your resume. I mean, those are guys that, that obviously, you know, he's, he's shown a pattern of being able to develop quarterbacks. But one thing that I really like about him is, you know, he, he's got a, he's got a, an eye for talent in, in coaching and, you know, in coaching, he obviously had, you know, some success with Manny Diaz and then Manny Diaz left to go to Texas. And for some reason, you know, he forgot how to coach at Texas because those defenses <laughs> were horrible. He, he had his, his shoot moment, but, um, you know, with, you know, when, when he, when he got fired from Texas, they get him right back and he, and he's very successful. And then of course he leaves and goes to Miami where, you know, he's got the most opportunistic defense in the country this year. So, but I think that he's made some great hires. I think he made, you know, he made the hire of, um, uh, Peter Sermon, who, you know, used to coach at Tennessee and he's, he's done some, he's made some really good coaching hires. And, and I think that he, you know, he, he's gone, he's demanded more from that administration down there. You know, Davis Wade stadium does not look anything like it did when he got there. You know, they, they, they really, ramped up their facilities he's demanded that they invest more into football they've done it he's gone out and got some really good recruiters he's beaten the Ole Miss he even beat um Hugh Freeze for you know recruits even when Freeze was not <laughs> was nothing was on the up and up there now I will say the one concern I have about Mullen is I don't think he's squeaky clean either but who is you know that's that's the thing is that there have been some some minor run-ins down there um, with the NCAA, the way that they're going to be everywhere. Do I think that he's cheating his face off? Absolutely not. You know, I think that that maybe you do have to bend rules a little bit to get kids to come to Mississippi State. I've I've thought in the past that well, there's no way that, that there's no way that such and such kid went there over Tennessee. I mean, we've all had those thoughts before, but you know, I think that the bottom line is is that. You know, Mullen gets players down there. Sometimes he gets players that we've never heard of, and he turns them into NFL players. I had never heard of um, Bernardrick McKinney when he went down to to Mississippi State, and he gets turned into, you know, a great pass rusher type player down there that he, he played middle linebacker um, at Mississippi State because they absolutely had to have him there. So, you know, you've got Mullen that's that's turning a guy that's a, that's a, a pass rusher that's a defensive um defensive end into a middle linebacker because 
that's the best place to put him for the plate for you know how he's going to help the team right now very much the same kind of instance as like a Leonard Little back in the day for Tennessee so I do believe that he's got a long history of putting players in position to make plays he's got a long history of of developing quarterbacks and he's hired some really good coaches down there so I, I think that I would be excited to see how that would translate at a place like Tennessee that's going to give him all of the resources to be successful as successful as he can be and I think that you know even though Kirby Smart's doing some great things at Georgia right now. I, I don't. I think that the East is still very much up in the air, as we saw yesterday. Georgia's not completely back, and so the East is there to be won, unlike the West. So, you know, I, I would be. I think that he's a coach that, like Will mentioned, knows the landscape of the SEC, has been there, done that. You know, has that chip on his shoulder with Florida. Florida's not going to hire him this time because Jeremy Foley is still right in the the thick of that race, even though, or in the thick of that search, even though he's not the athletic director and Mullen and Strickland didn't have the best um, relationship either. So I don't think he's going to be a factor at Florida. So I think that he's a guy that Tennessee can go get and a guy that Tennessee would be very happy if they got. So, you know, he's, he's a guy that I could see Tennessee going after. I think the whole question with, with both him at Starkville and whether he would come here is how much higher is the ceiling at Tennessee than at Mississippi state? And, like, I know traditionally the answer is significantly higher. Um, but right now, what is the, the perceived difference? Because mm-hmm. he could he can do the David Cutcliffe route. You can stay in Starkville. You can have nine wins be a parade and stay there for probably as, as long as you want to. Uh, you know, when I, I'm, I'm looking around briefly last night after that heartbreaking loss, and you don't have – Mississippi State is not a place where you have – I don't think Dan Mullen is the guy to get it done here as kind of a, a prevalent opinion when he loses a close game to a great team. It's not like Mark Richt at Georgia. It's not like Les Miles at LSU. So he could stay. He could stay there a long time. He could be God in Starkville. If you want to be God in Starkville, he, I think he can do that. <laughs> or, you know, you can, you can go and go to Tennessee believing that um, Tennessee is a step up over Mississippi State, but that it's enough of a step up to give himself a chance to, to do something better and do something more. And I think that, you know, to me, that's, that's, that's not really much more complicated than that. If he doesn't think, uh, or, or if he wants to just stay there and be that guy and doesn't think Tennessee's that step, then I'd stay. There's no reason to come here and put up with, with, you know, the higher expectations and all that pressure. But if that's what he wants, and if he wants to win bigger than 10 and three and go into a new year, six bowl once a decade, then I, I think if, if he's interested, then Tennessee should be interested in him uh, as well. I, I just think um, Mullen is a guy um, that you, you're going to lose some games. We saw it this year with Georgia and Auburn. You're still going to lose some games at Mississippi State just on sheer talent. And sometimes you're going to get beat bad. But I think he's also a guy that he's, he's getting more out of less and in general, they are doing a really good job, not only winning the games that they're supposed to win, but being competitive, giving themselves a chance to win games that they probably shouldn't be having a chance to win on uh, on on talent alone. So I, I just think uh, I, I would be very, very happy uh, if Tennessee was introducing Dan Mullen. I, and I just I think he's a really good fit. And the thing with Mullen, too, unlike the next guy we're getting ready to talk about is I feel better about the odds of Dan Mullen, if that's who it is, I feel better about the odds of him still being Tennessee's coach 10 years from now uh, than, than I do with Scott Frost. Uh, and so I think that's 
again, I get, I, I get the sense where Brad's talking about, is this a floor higher where if you're going to take those phone calls to Jimbo Fisher and Gary Patterson seriously and all that stuff, then maybe Mullen is as far down the list as you want to go. But to me, when you get to the realistic portion of the list, the non-Gruden realistic portion of the list, he to me is um, he, he, he's one of the best hires on that list to me. And I think he is uh, the safest hire on that list. And he might end up being the best hire out of that list. Um, so uh, I, I can kind of compare him a little bit. Let's talk about Scott Frost. Can I, can um, I mention one more thing about Mullen before you go to Frost? Yeah. Um, you, you'd mentioned um, that one of his strengths is that he gets more out of less. And I think that's a really important concept to spend just a minute or two on because I think that's a good thing. But I think one of Butch Jones's problems was that he was a coach before who could get more with less, but he couldn't get more out of more. He didn't know how to coach blue chips. And I think that's a really important sort of distinction. How do you manage egos? Um, how do you get the most out of the best players that you're going to be able to get, which you're going to be able to get at Tennessee? I'm not saying Mullen doesn't know how to do that. He probably got some experience at it at Florida, um, mm-hmm. but and I, and and he would probably have an advantage over uh, Frost, you know, uh, on that same point. But it's just something that's sort of in the back of my mind. It's uh, when you're looking at these guys and trying to see if they're going to transfer to, uh, you know, their skill set is transferable to a place like Tennessee. That's one of the things to look at is. Is do do they have experience managing uh, blue chip players? I think the Florida point is is a good one there. I think too that this to me is the difference between or, or a difference between Dan Mullen and Butch Jones. And some of this will be in a post I'm working on for this week. But if we look back now at Butch Jones at Cincinnati, and at Central Michigan too, uh, his one loss record was impressive. Was was average to to good to great all of his years except for one at Cincinnati. But when you look back on it now, there are so many close games in there, which makes sense now because that's basically all Tennessee has played. Um, I think Butch Jones, one of his things has been, let's give ourselves a chance to win. And at Tennessee, he recruited well enough to give Tennessee a chance to win against anybody. But the way he he coaches um, has always been to put his guys in position to win versus Let's go out there and dominate. Yep. And I think Mullen, Frost especially, we'll talk about that in just a second, but I think Mullen, when, when dominance has been available, dominance isn't available to Mississippi State last night, you know, um, and, and dominance wasn't available to Mississippi State when they're playing Georgia or, or Auburn. And that's not to say that they didn't have a sleepy moment against UMass or South Alabama or whatever last year. But I think he has done a good job making the most out of every snap significantly more than, than a guy like Butch Jones. So to me, when we talk about getting more from less, it's not just um, being good at a lower tier program. It's taking the guys at that program and having your team be more effective uh, on every play. Mullins Mississippi state teams have been far more, far more effective play for play than anything Butch Jones did at Cincinnati. And I'll write more about this and back that up. But, I mean, that is that's a that is a key component, I think, of him is understanding, hey, we're not out there trying to be close. If, if we can whip a team, let's whip a team. And that's something that Butch Jones 
only did to Kentucky and in bowl games. That, to me, I mean, when the book about Butch Jones at Tennessee is written, why in the world we were so good in bowl games is a fascinating chapter. You know, like, we dominated bowl games. Dominated. Whatever it is about him coaching against Iowa and Northwestern and Nebraska that didn't translate to the regular season, I have no idea. But um, that, uh, again, if we're talking about the pendulum swing, you can make a good argument for Dan Mullen being the opposite of Butch Jones in a whole lot of ways. The X's and O's, the way he's going to deal with a press conference. I, I'm not a Mississippi State fan at all, and I still chuckle every time I see that picture of him smoking that cigar when they beat Ole Miss last year, talking about Nick Fitzgerald <laughs> only being recruited by UT Chattanooga. So, you know, I, love I, I you know, I, I think he fits that bill in all kinds of ways. Well, and and it's also fair to mention that, you know, with if, if we're going to mention the, the aspect of, of Mullen maybe maybe getting to do that at Florida, you know, we, we also need to mention that Butch has never had to do that. Butch has never yep. coached on the highest level until he came to Tennessee. And there is something to be said for that. And, and I, you know, we, we've all made the points, of, even if we've just alluded to them in post before, that, you know, that, that Butch never really had – he never really had a specialty. He, he never was a – a coordinator he never was a head coach at a at a major program and 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 i mean we're taking you know it might sound like we're taking shots at butch and i, and I don't mean that at all i mean because obviously butch did some some good things at tennessee I, I i tend to look back on on those good things just like we look back on the negative things but the bottom line is is that you know it was very easy when alabama you know fired mike shula to to look at mike shula's career and say well this guy can be a such and such somewhere else. And he's, you know, he's gone on and kind of remake his career and he's a really good NFL offensive coordinator. This is not a shot at Butch, but who's, who's going to hire Butch Jones to do what on their staff, you know? And that's, that's, yeah. that's tough, but I mean, that's, that's, that's tough talk, but he, he's, he's, he's known as being kind of an offensive guy, but he, he wasn't really at Tennessee. He's not known as being a defensive guy. You know, he's never really had a specialty. I mean, he maybe his specialty was receivers, but the receivers really underperformed in his entire career at Tennessee. So, you know, it, it's hard for me to to look at what Butch Jones's next career step is going to be. And and so he's never really had a specialty. Mullen has. Mullen was the offensive coordinator for the best team in the country and the best program in the country. And, you know, and so he's got – He's got a pedigree that that translates, especially when you when you think about, you know, when you factor in his nine years in the SEC. And he's so I think that he's you know, he's got a lot of positives that that, that Butch didn't have. All right, let's look at Scott Frost for a minute. Chances are, if you're listening to this, if you read our side or other sites, you you know this, but. The argument for Scott Frost is not that this guy is the mid-major flavor of the month because he's he's coaching the the current clubhouse leader for the best group of five team in the country. Uh, the the argument for Frost is is really twofold. One, it's his pedigree going back to I mean this list is just crazy of guys that he has played under or coached under, which includes Bill Walsh, Tom Osborne, Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick, John Gruden, then back in college with Chip Kelly. I mean that that is that's you couldn't you couldn't intentionally plan something like that. I mean, it's that's just an incredible list of guys that he has been uh, on their team, played under them, or coached under them. 
But then two, when we talk about taking the most out of every play, when we talk about dominance, if you look at what Central Florida has done this year, I mean, they these guys are flat out murdering the teams that they play. And I know they're they're in the American or, or whatever the case may be. I understand that. But nonetheless, I mean, these guys are so good on every single snap. One of the things I really like about Frost is when they beat Navy uh, a few weeks ago, they won at Navy and they won by 10. And Navy's pretty good. Frost was asked in the postgame, you know, hey, what do, what do you think about playing a close game? And I'll, I'll look this quote up and put the actual quote in, in the post I'm working on. But what he said essentially was, it's good for our players to, to get in one of these games, but heck no, I don't like playing in close games. And I thought, first of all, a guy that says heck is going to fit in really well at Tennessee if he wants to come here. But two, that sense of like, this guy is not saying, well, let's, let's, give, our, let's give ourselves a chance to win. Again, it's a guy that understands we're out here to dominate every single snap, every single play. If we can win by 40, let's win by 40. Uh, and, and they, I mean, they just haven't been threatened all year. Uh, but they may get a chance with South Florida. They'll get maybe another shot at Memphis in the conference title game. Um, and if he's still the coach there, um, it probably means he's not going to be the coach at Tennessee, but you'll get a shot at him maybe in a, in a major bowl game. So if, if the question to me, if the question is, of all these guys, who's going to be the best coach five years from now? My money would be on Frost. I just I like everything about what he's done. I like everything about what his teams have done. The guy's been an offensive and a defensive coordinator in his past. Obviously was the quarterback at Nebraska when they ran roughshod over Peyton Manning in Tennessee. Coming from Nebraska, he understands kind of what a program like Tennessee would be like. I, I just think all of that stuff is all upside. Plus, you could get him for a lot cheaper than what you're going to pay Mullen or pay Gruden or whoever. Um, my question would be, uh, before we get into would he come to Tennessee over Florida or Nebraska, my question would be, what's, what are his long-term goals? Does he want to be an NFL coach? Does he want to come to Tennessee at age, the guy's 42? Does he want to come to Tennessee and stay at Tennessee for the rest of his career? I have no idea what the answer to those questions are. So best case scenario with Frost, you might get a guy that's here two years and then goes to the NFL. I don't know. Uh, but he is way, to me, he is way more than just the mid-major flavor of the month. And when I read people say, oh, we don't need to hire another up-and-comer, um, to me, Scott Frost is not any other up-and-comer. I, I would put him way, way, way above anybody else that's not at a Power 5 job. Um, so that is a two-minute love letter for me to Scott Frost. <laughs> Brad, do you, you, you want to you echo the sentiments or do you have hesitance? What's your thought on Scott Frost in Tennessee? Well, me and you are going to have to fight over his affection because I <laughs> right, love the guy right. too. <laughs> I mean, he's my... I'm with you, all things considered. He is my number one choice. And I say that, and I'm telling you that that's – he's my number one even over Gruden, and I know that's blasphemy. Um, I don't think so. Fan. I, I, don't I think just so. – I think, I think if you're going to – I think if you're going to go swing for the fences and you want to hire a guy that could legitimately be the next statue in front of your stadium, that you can't hire scared. And, and, and that this is – that this has all of the upside, all of the ceiling to be that. Is there some risk involved? Uh, maybe. I mean, there's 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 always risk involved with with anybody. I mean, I, I, but I I just I think he's a can't miss. I think his pedigree lines up exactly the way you want. I think that this is another thing. You know, Mullen is very much like this too. I think that alpha personality is vitally important. Somebody that can that is relatable and accountable and. And he is, and he he holds, you know. If you listen to his press conferences, and I pretty much listened to all of them this year, just because I <laughs> completely have bought into what he's selling. 
the the accountability factor is through the roof with this guy and 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 i i think that he's you know he's learned like you said under some great minds and he's taken those things and he's devised what is a championship formula and and i and i don't believe that you can look at it and say you know that he's the greatest coach in the in the in the country or whatever i'm not saying that but i you know there is central florida was an 0 and 12 program two years ago they made it to a bowl game last year in his first year and they're most likely going to go undefeated this year i mean it's 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 a remarkable two-year turnaround he has turned everything around from recruiting to you know the attitude to the mentality to the way they win games he's He's just done everything you can that you could want, and that's from that standpoint. I, I don't think that he's a flight risk for Nebraska, because you know, I mean, could could Nebraska convince him to come there over Tennessee? Absolutely, because I mean, he did go to school there. He does have a history there. But if you also read a couple of articles that were written, he has a love hate relationship with with Nebraska fans, and you know, dating back to his junior year as a player. And so, you know, I'm not sure that he's got. He, he may have some sour grapes in his mouth from, from that from that standpoint. He's not just a guarantee to go back there. But from an NFL standpoint, yeah, you know, there's a chance that he could go to the NFL. There's a chance that he could say, you know, I want to know if if my coaching skills translate on the high at the highest level. But if you're Tennessee, if you're whomever, you can't hire scared. You've got to go out and get the best candidate available that would be the best fit for your program, that would be the best fit from a recruiting standpoint, from a mentality standpoint, from a schematic standpoint, from a development standpoint. And I think that when you look at all of those things, plus youth, plus a relatable guy, not relatable to us, Joe Schlob, the fan, but, you know, relatable to players. I mean, you've got a guy that, you know, and he's he's never going to be mistaken for Brad Shepard. I mean, the guy works out you know, two or three times a day, he's, you know, he's, 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 he's got the gorgeous wife. So, you know, he's, you know, he can recruit. I mean, he, you know, he's got, he could beat I mean, up the, the media. The <laughs> yes. I mean, plus the media loves the guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's just, he's a guy that can, that can talk to people. And so, I mean, I, I really, I have a hard time finding any flaw to frost. And my biggest fear, my biggest fear in this whole year is not, is not that Tennessee won't hire John Gruden. It's that Florida will hire Scott Frost. That's my biggest <laughs> fear of the whole coaching search is that Frost is going to be available, that we could hire Frost and that we're going to pass on him and Florida's going to hire him. And then we're going to, you know, watch the next Spurrier over the next 10 years, thump us in the forehead, you know, and I, I'm just, I'm, I don't want that to happen. Uh, let, let me say before we go to Joel, uh, I'm I'm in complete agreement with Brad on I'd rather have Scott Frost than John Gruden. Uh, I, I didn't want to say that earlier because it does sound like a crazy blasphemous thing to say. And Gruden is the girl you've been in love with for all these years. And now here she is maybe on your doorstep, but probably not. I, I just think Frost is I, I am colored by um, I am fortunate to be the fan of a, an NBA team that's got the best coach in the game right now in the Boston Celtics. And Brad Stevens, the it's, it's not just that he's got good players now, finally. Like, the way that guy attacks different teams every night with different lineup combinations, he's got so many different ways to win. He is meticulous in detail, and he's constantly evolving. Celtics have had all kinds of different players and rotations or whatever, and this is a truth that the best coaches understand. Saban, Belichick, 
Brad Stevens, Greg Popovich, all of these guys, is that you you have to keep evolving. Your stuff has to keep changing and growing because the rest of football will adjust too. And, and Butch never got that, it. Butch oh, never yeah, got I, it. I agree. The system was infallible at Cincinnati in 2012, but it wasn't infallible at Tennessee, not even remotely close. And look, this year, Tennessee's offense was pretty good against Georgia Tech. Like, statistically, pretty good. Really good in the second half. But it, I mean, it, it just went all kinds of in the toilet from there because there, it's like there was no adjustment being made. So I, I just think Frost, he, he has all those boxes. And when we get here in a, in a second to talking about some of these other guys, it's not just that they beat them head to head. It's, it's what they have done. And when I say dominate, I'm not just talking about the points. This is the thing. When we talk about Mike Norville in a minute, Central Florida beat those guys 40 to 13. When we talk about Chad Morris at, at SMU, that's a game Central Florida only won by a touchdown, and so it's easy to look at and say, oh, well, they're kind of the same thing. But when we talk about, again, who's getting the most out of every single snap, Central Florida averaged eight yards a play in that game, and uh, SMU averaged less than six. That's a game Central Florida statistically dominated. They turned the ball over. There are some other things. That stuff happens. What you want is guys that are going to give you, give you the best opportunity to win on every single play. Central Florida averaged 13 yards per play against Cincinnati. That's absurd. That's it's com just completely absurd. So, I mean, th these guys, again, it's not just – this isn't the flavor of the month, and this isn't let's go get whoever the hot mid-major is that beat two teams and made the Sweet 16. This guy is an incredible football coach in the making, and I agree with Brad. I, I think you – uh, I think you. it is in Tennessee's best interest to pursue him, to put a better offer in front of him than whatever Florida is going to do. Because if this guy ends up at Florida, you, you better get John Gruden or you better get Dan Mullen at worst because Florida will be a handful under this guy. We've said that about Florida for years. Florida is going to be good regardless. You don't want... You don't want a genius down there. That's that's when Florida is really, really un, just unstoppable. You don't want Chip Kelly at Florida. You don't want Gus Malzahn at Florida. You you want McIlwain. You want Muschamp. You want yep. Zook and those guys there. So, you know, uh, when I hear about Florida being interested in some of these these other guys that are not Frost, I'm like, great. You know, go hire the best recruiter you can. The kids are going to come there anyway. Um, uh, so, yeah, that is the worst-case scenario for Tennessee is Scott Frost at Florida – Dan Mullen still at Mississippi State, John Gruden in the NFL, and then we're we're on to uh, a list. Of, you know that big phone call list. Fisher and Patterson all say no, uh, and and then we're we're on to to some of these other guys we're getting ready to talk about. So um, <laughs> it's not to say that those guys can't win, but if you've got an A plus hire at Florida, and you you got a pretty solid hire, it looks like at Georgia, it's a dangerous time um, for for Tennessee. Uh, you, you, Joel, you want to you want to throw some water on this or, or anything? I feel like you know, I was I need to go take a cold shower. That's right. My my opening line was going to be, "Man, you guys are going to be disappointed when he gets hired of Florida." Yeah, because <laughs> you know that that's really uh, w when you gave your initial two minute love letter. I was just going to co-sign, okay? But uh, you know, fifteen minutes later, and I do feel like we need a little bit of water just in case, you know. For me, um, I think he he and Gruden would be sort of 1A and 1B. I mean, I love the guy for all the same reasons that uh, that you guys just uh, droned on about. So, uh, 
<clears throat> the thing is, Gruden Gruden wins on instant impact, uh, and you know, which is probably only important to me. But uh, uh, Frost sort of wins on you know longevity, right? So my my concern about him is what I just mentioned. There's there's a lot more competition, I think, for him. I think Gruden is is you know whether to coach again or not. Maybe the NFL, um, but you know, he's not going to end up on the sideline of a rival. Right. So, um, Frost though, uh, it's a real threat for him to go to Florida. Uh, it's a real threat, I think for him to go to or end up at uh, Nebraska. I was interested to hear what Brad said about his love hate relationship with the fan base. Mm -hmm. But, um, I asked my, uh, uh, Nigerian friend at church today, who's been a Nebraska fan for decades. Um, um, what, about Scott Frost, and he said, he's going to Nebraska. So, anyway, he's convinced, and, you know, so it must be true, right? One yeah. other one other concern is um, his, you know, I, I haven't looked at his entire um, coaching history, but there's still the blue chips thing with me. I, I think that's a, it's just a huge thing, and it's not just about whether or not you can get – uh, squeeze enough out of the guys that you have uh, to get a, a good yards per play. It's about managing a different kind of mindset. You know, something that Phil Jackson really did exceptionally well in the NBA. He knew how to, how to mold uh, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Tony, Tony Kukoc um, and whoever was on the Lakers uh, by the time I quit watching. You know, there's something about being able to manage a group of egos. And, um, you know, something that needs to be learned, uh, something that's not easy to do. And I don't know that he has a lot of experience with it at this point. So that's one other uh, thing to maybe just uh, ease off on the accelerator just a little bit. But, uh, you know, overall, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have that guy here. I will say this in terms of easing off this uh, in, in throwing water on the whole thing, whether Tennessee hires John Gruden or Scott Frost or whoever, um, Tennessee's offensive line is a huge problem next year. It is a huge, yeah. it's a huge problem right now. Yeah. Um, but that, I mean, you, you better get on Juco message boards and pray or something because it doesn't matter how smart you are and how clever you are. In the SEC, if you can't block, you, you really can't do a whole lot of anything. So um, expecting anyone to come in here and have a huge kind of year in year one without a lot of junior college kind of help on the offensive line. Or Cade Mays. Uh, is, is, or, or Cade Mays. Three but even more. then, I mean, I feel like we're with, – with Trey Smith, it's like how, how fortunate could we get two years in a row to get guys who can come in here and be – the best lineman on this team right away. Yeah. Mays uh, is not that kind of player. I, I mean, I want, I want Cade Mays desperately bad. I'm not knocking on the kid at all, but he's, he is not Trey Smith. It's not, yeah. it's not anywhere near, it's not anywhere near that instant impact ability. He's a great player. A lot of player, a lot of schools in the country want him, but Trey Smith is a generational kind of talent on the offensive line. And I'll say this, I, I, I mentioned this uh, last week or at some point. He just it threw the water back on me. I'm sorry. I, th <laughs> I think, I, I think um, 
one of the things we never give Lane Kiffin enough credit for because we don't want to give Lane Kiffin credit for anything. Nope. That offensive line in 2009, I mean, what in the world? That, that's, you know, the the brothers McClure and, and uh, Aaron Douglas had not played offensive line, and all of a sudden you've got Montario Hardesty as one of the best running backs in the SEC. And I really feel like it took until the bowl game against Virginia Tech for the other team to figure out, like, oh, we, we can just dominate these guys up front, and that'll take care of that. So I'm not sure that it's that bad as what Kiffin inherited in 2009. It'd be interesting to go back and look, um, or, or horrifying to go, to go back and look. But that's, that's just a, a point to make about who, if it's Gruden, if it's Frost, Mullen, whoever, Gary Patterson, whoever, uh, Tennessee is not going to be very good next year if they can't get some help on the offensive line. Um, so that's, that's, you know, throwing water on everyone to say, if you hire Gruden and he doesn't win 11 games or you hire Scott Frost and he goes seven and five and you're one, uh, you, you gotta, you got work to do up front. Um, and, and that's going to be a common denominator for, uh, for anybody coming in there. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.